And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Bird to your mother, it's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just the trio of feathery brethren weathering any season to see the Eagles eating teams like Scrammy's top with cheese. It's Philadelphia, Bo Sheel and Zach kicking it cooler than three penguins till Zach runs off with his valet keys. He's a real nuanced goose. Pull up a branch, get loose. It's time for some juice on some birds with friends. The early bird gets the worm, but prefers getting turned like a turn on some birds with friends. Boshiel and Zach coming at you with steps and things, flapping their wings on. How do you have time to consume all this content? <laughs> You're listening to Dave Spadaro interviews. I, I take the morning bike ride and I listen oh, to Oh, I want to hear more about that, but go ahead. No, the Google Trail. I, I really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Hello, everybody. This is Shiel Kapadia in the host seat. Bo Wolf listening somewhere, nursing a little one. I, I don't think we can say gender. I don't think we can say name. We know family uh, is healthy and happy. So congratulations to the Wolves. Uh, Zach, I don't know about you or Marissa. I'm not convinced that Bo is definitely going to sit this one out. It's 12.36 a.m. here on the East Coast. It would not surprise me to see him jump in the Zoom. It would not surprise me to see him, uh, you know, send Marissa something after the fact and have her kind of sneak it in there. Uh, Do you think we will hear from Bo at any point during this podcast? If Bo had the baby in the uh in the scorecast what's the name of the game sweeper yeah let's not remember it on purpose yeah Yeah. Uh, we don't have to so if if bo had that and he won uh then he would jump on to the pod because you had that one and therefore you won i think he keeps a low profile yeah, I think that's the right read. Marissa, you don't have to tell us like if he's you know playing something because I know he may message you on the side, sneak something in. I don't want to put you in an awkward position. When the blitz <laughs> makes you fall and you drop the meatball, that's Denucci. When your sidearm low-key is delish like gnocchi, that's Denucci. Al will say no mask for us today and then we'll watch my lotta Wentz's play is pretty pretty broken like a fresh cut burrata Danooch looking forward to listening to the podcast I want to hear what Sheil has to say about uh, Michael Jaquette and uh, I want to know if Zach Finally thinks it's time to uh, move on from Carson Wentz. Boy, that was an ugly game. Coming to you live from the bathroom in our hospital room with uh, our brand new brand new addition. Born on Halloween. Everybody's doing well. Little Jane Wolf. And, uh, you know, she had some trouble sleeping this afternoon. Wouldn't sleep with Dad. And then... Uh, all of a sudden, Carson Wentz has his second uh, ridiculous turnover of the game, and she, the Eagles put her to sleep. So 
I thank the Eagles for that. And uh, I guess that's about it. Thanks to everybody for the well wishes. And as always, we love you. All right. Well, I, I I did not know anything about that. I I did not set up the intro to the show, expect, but I knew he just couldn't set it out, sit it out. You know, he, I was hoping to like wait to play. He no. told me to just like cut cut them off at some point and like just start playing it. And I was so excited to like mid pod just roll that in. But after that introduction, I just I couldn't wait. <laughs> I I know him too well. I mean, this is what 2017. I knew he would not be able to just sit this out. Uh, you know, he makes fun of Zach for showing up at the press conference when he his baby's born he's in here you know giving his takes watching the game zach do you need to fire back <laughs> no well well in all sincerity <laughs> congratulations to to Bo and the wolf family uh and I'm, I'm glad everyone's healthy and and uh, it's it's wonderful although i can only imagine um another family in the room next door uh either you know like they just had their baby or they're you know it's it's this exciting emotional time and you hear a guy singing that's that's Danucci. you know like i the the mother the father the baby must have so many questions like like to think that there's that there's someone else who has entered the world to that song it's scary. Yeah, you know, it, it is a scary thought. And, you know, I was trying to give some structure to the show, Zach. I even, we planned it out a little bit. And here we are five minutes in, have not mentioned the score, have not mentioned who won. So Bo got his wish. He hijacked yes. the show from a hospital bathroom. So congratulations, Bo. Just what you wanted. All right. Eagles win 23-9 to over the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I don't want to say it was a boring game because, you know, I, I felt like it was kind of entertaining. And, it, you know, it certainly wasn't well played. It was not high quality, but I wouldn't say it was. Um, it had low entertainment value. The the Eagles are now three, four, and one on the season. They are in first place. Uh, I don't think many of you listening are are doing cartwheels, are uh, jumping for joy at going into the bye at first place in the NFC East with the way this game went. Maybe I could be wrong. I know after the last game, some people thought we needed to uh, talk a little bit more about the good things that happened against the Giants. I'm not there with this, this game. I'm not there with this team. But Zach, give me sort of your big picture thoughts here uh, on the victory. I'll give you mine and then we'll drill down on some of the details. Yeah, I, I thought you 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 really hit it on on the head there. That if the only thing that matters to you is the bottom line, that they won the game, they're in first place in the NFC East, really in the driver's seat to winning the division, then mission accomplished, right? But if you care how they played and what it means, uh, there are major reasons to be concerned, and in particular Carson Wentz. I, I thought this was the worst game that Carson Wentz played. This season, four turnovers uh, against a defense that had allowed the most points in the NFL this season. You know, the Eagles' offense only got in, in into the end zone twice. I thought Carson made uh, bad decisions, did not play well enough, and the discouraging part to that is that it, it seemed he had generated some momentum after the way he played in those first you know, three weeks of, of, of the year. This was a major step back and uh, to the point, and I know we'll get to Carson, that I uh, uh, Doug Peterson said there was no consideration paid to pulling him, but had they pulled him after that that, that fourth turnover, it wouldn't have, have, have been like this 
totally knee-jerk reaction, in my opinion, because he was playing that poorly and he was costing the team. Now, the flip side is the defense did what they needed to do against the third-string quarterback, uh, and, you know, they didn't allow the Cowboys to score uh, the score uh, a, a touchdown all game. And big picture, the Eagles won, and they're, and they're getting healthier, and there's reason to believe that their best football is in front of them. But in year five of Carson Wentz, the way he played tonight against a defense that he really should have put up big numbers against was discouraging. Well, that's my big picture thought to, you know, and I know you, uh, you did a good job. You asked Doug the question about, did he consider uh, at any point pulling Carson Wentz for Jalen Hurts? He said, no. I mean, this was a discouraging performance, in my opinion. It's in what's been a discouraging season, an eight-game stretch in year five. And, like, there's been so many excuses made for Carson Wentz at this point. And, you know, many of them have validity. But we're talking about, a, you know, 15 for 27 for 123 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, two fumbles, 4.6 yards per attempt against a defense that ranked 30th in DVOA coming in. I mean, this was a dead franchise, a dead defense, a defensive coordinator who's rubbing Tabasco sauce in his (laughs) eye. They're getting leaks in the locker room about how they can't coach. They're cutting veterans that they signed in the beginning of the season, trading other veterans. I mean, no other team had laid down like this team the entire season, and that's the performance you deliver. Uh, Through eight games now, Carson Wentz leads the league in interceptions. He leads the league in sacks, some his fault, some not his fault. He's tied for second in fumbles. Okay, he's 31st in completion percentage. 58.4% in the year 2020 is almost unheard of. He's 29th in yards per attempt, averaging 6.2 yards per attempt. I mean, Sam Bradford looks at 6.2 yards per attempt and thinks that's not very good. This is year five. These numbers are worse than his rookie season. He is completely lost out there. Anyone watching can see it. And and I'm sorry to Eagles fans who want to say, well, it's the receivers and the offensive line and the scheme and the coaching. I understand all those things, but there's also the possibility that he's not the guy that, you know, many thought he was in 2017. And I know that's a hard thing to admit right now. And you've invested a lot in him. And maybe he bounces back in the second half of the season when they get guys healthy. But when we're looking at this game and we're looking at the first half of the season, it is really, really ugly. I mean, this is three years later from 2017, and he's legitimately performing like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. And so I, I agree with you. I don't think it would have been knee-jerk at all to bring Jalen Hurts in. I actually thought it was warranted. I mean, I was at a point where I said, you have to take him out, and like it might look exactly the same with Jalen Hurts, but go ahead and, and see what it looks like Um you know, just as sort of as sort of an experiment, because the way he's playing right now, you can't win that way. Now they did win, and now they have the bye week. But I do think during the bye week, they have to have conversations internally among the coaches and say, 
like what will it take for us? What what do we need to see for us to make a quarterback change? If we do make a quarterback change and want to see Jalen Hurts, what will the offense look like? Like I think they need to plan ahead a little bit because if there are games like this in the second half of the season, you cannot just keep sticking him out there and saying, well, we paid him $128 million. We used the uh, number two overall pick on him. He had a great 2017 season. This is the guy we're sticking with. Like to me, uh, it is past that point. And that has to be on like the short list of your uh, of things you're discussing during the bye week. Yeah, I'm 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 glad you said that because really what it does is is, is it helps me crystallize uh, the way I was thinking. As 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 you know, the game ends. You know, you're you're writing during the game. I have to get that thing up at the end of the game. This not the thing. This 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 the breakdown of the game up. Uh, you know, we have interviews. You you don't really have time to sit and synthesize it. So my reaction during the game was that once a once is a problem, and obviously I haven't gone back and watched it. But uh, from your perspective, uh, after that fourth interception, if 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 Carson Wentz has his hat on and Jalen Hurts goes into the game, what are you thinking? I mean, I, I would have said that's the right move, to be quite honest. I would have said, all right, let, let's see what it looks like. And, you know, I know there's this thought, and, and le- maybe we'll, we'll save that sort of uh, conversation for a little bit here. We can drill down on the game, but I'm sure there's the conversation we should have about what does that mean long-term? Can he bounce back mm-hmm. from it? Can you bring him back? And those are all valid. But if we're just talking about this game, I mean, I think it would have been uh, perfectly valid to do that, you know? You, Doug Peterson has talked about the Nelson Aguilar situation. He's talked about uh, Sayamalu. I, I get it. This is totally different. Yeah. This is the quarterback, and it's uh, it, it's completely different situation. But if ever there were a time where you felt like a guy needed to take a step back, take a deep breath, and you know just like breathe a little bit and see what's going on, I thought this was a point that called for it. Yes, and you know, really, he he was talking about after the game. The interceptions and and he admitted that he he needs to play better that the turnovers aren't acceptable but he, he kept saying that uh, that he's not going to curtail his aggressiveness and he didn't seem to think that the decisions on the interceptions were bad now I I know that the fourth interception the deep ball to high tower um, that I don't know if it was the wind uh, or or what happened there but the bottom line is. You you can't turn the ball over and 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 when it's four of them you can't excuse it away and when it's eight games into the season and he has 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 what fifteen this year uh, that's it's it's outrageous like there's there's really no rationalization he can't blame it or the Eagles can't blame it we can't blame it on the offensive line because I didn't think the offensive line was. Was they weren't great tonight, but I didn't think they were the reason why Carson Wentz was turning the ball. Over I agree with times. that. Yeah, I agree. With and that. and you 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 can't blame it on the skill position players because they started getting guys back. Uh, this was Carson Wentz just just making mistakes. Yeah, he is right. You know, I heard him say during his press conference that you take every turnover, um, you know, kind of uh, on its own, on its own accord. And, you know, some are worse than others. Like, you know, he's right. The second. So his second fumble is on a fourth down. If you don't get get it there, you're turning the ball over on downs. Like, do you want to take a sack and fumble there? No. But that one's very much very different than that first fumble. I mean, come on. Year five. 
that mm-hmm. first fumble, I mean, this is like, you know, these are, and, it, and you're right. It's not just one play. Like, you know, there was somebody who commented on our Apple podcast page, which of course you all should be doing too. I mean, especially, you know, without Bo here, if you really had us go up the ranks, you know, if it's like Bill Simmons, pardon my take <laughs> birds with friends on the one episode where Bo's not involved, uh, that could really irk him. And I know some of you are minions and you don't want to do that, but listen, I know some of you are not minions and you might want to needle him a little bit uh, like, uh, like I like to do. So you might want to leave a comment there on the Apple podcast page, but you know, someone mentioned on there, Hey, uh, Russell Wilson last week threw. Uh, three interceptions against the Cardinals and you know you guys get on Wentz but every quarterback yeah every quarterback has bad games every quarterback has bad plays but we're looking at an eight game sample here this is yep. not you know that like like if his if his one interception tonight was that that deep ball uh, to Hightower that he just kind of threw up I wouldn't be on here crushing him. If his one turnover tonight was the uh, fumble there on fourth down where, you know, although I would like to look at the film on that because it did look like he had Greg Ward open uh, on that play. So, uh, you know, I don't know if he had a chance to get rid of it or not. But like if, you know, if those were the individual sort of isolated instances, then I totally agree that you have to look beyond the numbers. But right now you look at the film, you look at it live, you look at the numbers, you, I mean, there's really no argument uh, you could make other than he's playing really poorly. But, um, you know, I do think it's an organizational issue to a degree where you look at it it goes back to the beginning of the offseason where they're forcing Doug, forcing coaches on Doug and forcing outside the the box ideas on Doug. And then Doug's got coaches who, you know, he didn't necessarily he doesn't have the staff maybe he wants. And then he's asked to put it all together like those all are factors and they're all showing up in an offense that tonight had 10 possessions. Four of them resulted in turnovers, two turnovers on downs. Uh Two punts and two touchdowns, again, against a a terrible defense. They had 222 total yards against that defense. So, uh, all right, let's get to some of the individual plays. There were some uh, good – how much stock do you put into, like, the defensive performance going up against Ben Ben DiNucci, right? That's his name? Yes. Yes, ben DiNucci, yes, ben DiNucci. And, uh, and, and that offense. Like, it's tough for me to have a spirited conversation about how well they played. But, you know, definitely if they didn't play at that level, the Eagles very well could have lost this game. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, I, I, I don't say, you know, they're the 85 Bears because they did what they did against Ben DiNucci. But what I give them credit for is they, they played opportunistic defense too. You know, just, just look, after Wentz's first turnover— Okay, uh, the the Cowboys are driving. They get it down to the three yard line, I believe. It's it's three nothing already. If the Cowboys score a touchdown there and the Eagles are in a ten nothing hole, uh, that's a bad spot. In, in, instead, Brandon Graham has has a clutch sack, strip sack, takes points off the board. The Eagles go down, drive, they score. That that sack changes the game. Uh, you know the the touchdown at the, at the, at the end of the game. That was a weird play. Uh, nonetheless, I, I mean, the, the Cowboys were still in the game there. Uh, it was it, it was an important play for them. Uh, T.J. Edwards comes in on the blitz, uh, makes the play. The ball's rolling around. Ronnie McLeod picks it up. So they were opportunistic. I, I, I give them credit there. And and the other thing, too, is that they they didn't let uh, Danucci get momentum. And, and I, I think with these these rookie quarterbacks or backup quarterbacks like that's that's the one thing you need to guard against them getting hot them getting confidence and having one of those those games that that comes out of nowhere 
You know, I, I, I think back, like, even in Eagles history, you know, Bobby Hoying had a game, I, I remember, yeah. against Cincinnati where, like— I was at that he, game. Okay, yeah. Remember where, where he just, like, got hot, got momentum? Like 400 yards or something, <laughs> right? He threw four, I remember. Exactly. And, it, and it, 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 it comes out of nowhere, but if a guy gets confidence during the game, then, you know, that, that could spiral in the other way. So uh, I give the Eagles credit there, but, no, I, I, I don't think they're— like this, this stout defense because of the way they played, but the offense put them in in a number of holes and they kept Dallas out of the end zone and and, and that was critical. Yeah, I mean those two plays, the the Brandon Graham sack fumble, which which yeah, the Cowboys were inside the ten. I think that actual play, I believe, was at the seven where he gets a sack fumble. They get the ball back. That's a huge play. You're you're saving points there. And then of course, uh, late in the game, T.J. Edwards on the blitz and it's the the sack fumble that Rodney McLeod returns for a touchdown. Like without those two plays, who, who knows what kind of nail biting is going on at the end there or what this conversation is like. I just pulled up Brandon Graham's stats for the year. Mm-hmm. Seven sacks already, Zach. Yeah. Did you realize that? I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, uh, I, I, I spoke to Brandon last, last week about this and had had something in um, in my Friday column where he he said this has been the best start of a season he's 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 had. He said in 2017 he had sacks early and sacks late, but he's had consistency here throughout. And uh, you know he's on his way to his first Pro Bowl season. Now there's not going to be a Pro Bowl this year, but I'm sure they'll <laughs> they'll still give out that distinction. Um, and it's it's odd to see that happening in year 11 for a player, them having a career year in year 11. Uh, Graham has like revital or has overhauled his his diet, his nutrition. Has a personal chef. He admits that he has he has like certain cheat foods that that, that he really likes. Um, he he mentioned uh, pizza. He mentioned soul food. He mentioned the uh, rolls that cheesesteaks are on. You know, uh, he really likes bread. And, um, uh, and don't we all? Yeah, yeah. And he's not, give, not Marissa, but others. Not, not Marissa, correct. And he's had to give that up. And then the other thing, and and we've heard other players talk about this in 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 the past, but our our listeners aren't behind the scenes at the Novacare Complex. There's a wall that the players walk by every day that has that recognizes all the Pro Bowl players in franchise history, you know. And Brandon Graham walks through that hallway every day and like yearns to have his picture on on that wall. And and so that is an objective of his is to get on that wall. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's having a career year and he's, he's playing, like he's making big time plays and talking to defensive line coach Matt Burke last week. That's the thing Burke has said is, is, is like, he's one of the most underrated or underappreciated players in the NFL because it's not just sacks, it's tackles for losses, it's quarterback hits. He's just all over the place. Yeah. You know, I've heard Miles Garrett get a lot of buzz as a defensive player of the year candidate. So Miles Garrett has nine sacks and five tackles for loss. Brandon Graham has seven sacks and nine tackles for loss. Uh, Garrett's got four forced fumbles. Graham's got two. Garrett's got 13 quarterback hits. Graham's got 11. So Garrett's got a little bit of an edge, but like Graham's right there in that, uh, in that ballpark. So yeah, where would they be without Brandon Graham this year? Just a sort of phenomenal season. And this is a guy who we thought, potentially could be someone who declined this year when you look at his age and uh, where he was in his career. So that was a big play. Uh, The TJ Edwards play, did you think that was uh, 
that was legit. I, the announcer seemed to think that Vinnie Curry had the ball on the ground and had possession. I, I kind of leaned that way too, although I guess there wasn't a totally clear 100% picture of it. Were you, were you surprised that one wasn't changed? Yeah, so I, I really only, only got to go off of the TV replay because from where I was sitting in the press box, uh, it was just a pile of players. You know, I saw the ball come loose. I, I saw it get kicked around, but I, I I was surprised it wasn't whistled down. And then when I saw the replay on the screen, I, I thought Curry had it. And and then when the Eagles uh, lined up for the two-point conversion and they let them go, I, I, I was surprised. But I, I, I guess... Is it was the argument that that Curry never kind of had full possession? Yeah, there wasn't a great. I mean, it was one of those where, like you said, it's just kind of you can't exactly see the ball, but you can see what's happening. And it was like Curry is hugging something on the ground, and there's a, a Cowboys player who's punching something out, and oh, there's the football. But you don't actually like see all these uh, all these actions in order. And so uh, I guess I don't know. I, I kind of felt like the officials were just like, let's get out of here. Uh, we don't need to waste. We don't need to waste any more time. The touchdown stands, although, as Al Michaels was pointing towards the end, uh, some some big gambling implications with that play. And also, how about the last play the Cowboys ran? What, they can't throw to the end zone? My my prediction, as the listeners will remember on the Friday pod, was that the Eagles were, would be up 23-9, and the Cowboys would add a garbage touchdown, and it would be 23-16, and the Cowboys would cover. I was so close. You were, although the reason it was even in contention and I I don't know what they said on the, on the, on the telecast, but when they took the safety, was their rationale that it would be easier to convert the onside's kick than it would be the fourth down? Like like what was the reason they took the safety there? Because I mean, because that because that really affected the point spread as well. Yeah, that was surprising. Uh, they really like didn't get into it much. They were just okay. like, "Oh, all right, they're <laughs> taking a safety," and then they loved Zerline's uh, kick, which was a nice, uh, which was a nice free kick there. Uh, and and those are always exciting plays. But yeah, they didn't really get much into the strategy behind that. I guess it was what fourth and wasn't it like fourth and seventeen or something? Yeah, well, yeah, it was it was fourth and seventeen. Okay, so yeah. fourth and seventeen or punt or. Uh, take the safety and uh, well you as we said Mike McCarthy you know he might have someone in pro football focus in his headset on the sideline telling him that that was the right uh, that was the right analytical move uh, Wait, okay. and, and, and now the the final line was was 10 and a half so actually that that didn't affect the line correct because it it, it was uh, the safety with 20 it was it was it was 21 9 the final line was was 10 and a half or, or did it get bumped up uh no I didn't see it higher than ten and a half okay. I think yeah that okay, was yeah uh, so then so, so the Eagles all already were covering at that point yeah okay. twenty one nine would have yeah. uh would have still yeah. covered there okay okay all right well you know yeah, I I could have used that with my picks against the spread this week <laughs> but uh, that's okay Benny Danucci you want to throw the little the little screen out there on the final play of the game then by all means go ahead yeah, he and to do pump up those stats he finished twenty one of forty for one hundred and eighty yards. He actually had a better quarterback rating than Carson Wentz. Yeah, which is, you know, a good argument for the stats don't tell the uh, whole story thing. I mean, they never, 
really had a chance the entire game. I'm not sure exactly what their game plan was. I mean, the the announcers were going crazy talking about how like the Cowboys were reinventing football with some of these plays. You know, they would run like a reverse and uh, they would really lose it. Like, you know, this was something that the the and the football world had never seen before. But certainly they were trying to trying a few different things with uh, Ezekiel Elliott in the Wildcat. I, I was surprised they didn't just have like Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup run some go routes down the sideline and just chuck it up and see what happens. You know, maybe you draw a pass interference, maybe they go up and make a play, but they didn't really, uh, they didn't really do a lot of that. They didn't trust him to make those throws, I guess. Yeah. And and that's something you've advocated for in the past. And it worked for the Eagles with uh, Travis Fulgham where, where like, you know, they just threw it up and this, that's the second time this year Fulgham's drawn a, like a critical pass interference. Well, let's talk about Travis Fulgham. I mean, for, for those of you who are yelling at your uh, phones or your, uh, your, your cars or whatever, saying, why are these guys being uh, so negative and come out with 20 minutes on why Carson Wentz has been playing terrible when the Eagles just won a game. Travis Fulgham, six catches for 78 yards on seven targets, has a touchdown. I thought my favorite play was uh, he had like a catch on the left side and then he just like stiff-armed a guy to the ground. Do you remember this one? He was like uh, going out of bounds kind of, and he just like grabbed a, He just like put his hand up to the side of a, a defensive back's helmet. I forget who it was. And just tossed him to the ground. I'm like, who is this guy? I don't know where he came from, but uh, playing phenomenal once again. Yeah, and you know he had clutch. Uh, he had clutch catches throughout. I mean, on the on the first scoring drive, he he had to play down the left sideline. Uh, I, I, I thought the, the, uh, I thought the touchdown was a, was a, a nice catch. Um, it's certainly not a fluke, you know, like, like seven targets, six catches, 78 yards, uh, was, he shows he, he, he belongs. I saw Chris Collinsworth highlight the way he ran his, uh, route. And it's, it's true. Like he, he doesn't play like a practice squad player and, and, and we can get rid of that practice squad storyline. It's, it's been five weeks now and he's established himself as, as, as one of the, the better players on this team. And frankly, it completely changes the outlook of the offense now uh, going forward. Like, you know, I, I, I tweeted before the game that you were going to see without, I, I guess other than Miles Sanders, a good chunk of the Eagles, 2000, and 21 skill players. You know, they had Goddard back, they had Rager back. And and the reason you say that is because Fulgham is like entrenched in this wide receiver rotation now. And going forward, you you look at him as as one of your top three receivers. So uh it, it's it's completely merited. He's he's playing well, and there's there's no reason to think that he's going to decline like like maybe the production won't be like this every week, but in, in terms of the skill set, I, I think we're seeing what you saw with maybe like a Miles Austin or a Victor Cruz, someone who, when they get that opportunity, they burst onto the scene. It's crazy. I mean, who? yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. This is what the 2021 uh, Eagles could look like to a degree. If you had Miles Sanders, Sanders, Goddard, Rager, Fulgham, and then maybe you add one other uh, receiver as a slot receiver or a versatile guy who can play inside and outside uh, with all these guys. Uh, It's incredible right now. I'm just looking up his numbers. Averaging through five games, 87 yards per game, which is sixth in the NFL right now. I mean, 
nobody saw this coming. He's already got 435 receiving yards. Zach, did they have any wide receivers last year with more than 435 receiving yards? I, I know the answer. I'm looking yes, it up. Yes, I, I, I believe Alshon was close, right? What, what, do you, what do you think he had? Uh, I think Alshon, uh, did he have like 490? Oh, my God, you freaking sicko. You right? are a sicko. What is wrong with you? Go get out of this. Get out of this football writing industry. Put that. Put that beautiful mind to work uh, somewhere else. Yes, it's exactly four hundred. Why four hundred and ninety yards last year for Alshon Jeffrey? Well, I, why? I, I I just remember that he was like because I kept writing um, how how close you know how how they did not have a receiver over five hundred yards and. I think someone pointed out to me one time, well, Alshon was like basically there. So so that, that number did jump out to me. I, I love that piece of feedback. Like <laughs> you you know that what four ninety is and you know what five hundred is and you you know, your your original statement was still correct that they did not have a receiver with five hundred yards yet, but Fulgham, I mean this and this is only five games. He didn't even play the whole first half of the season. So who knows what uh, what he's going to end up with. So he's definitely been a bright spot. Uh, how about the offensive line? You touched on it earlier. Uh, why don't you take us through what happened, who actually started, um, and, and where everyone was positioned to start this game? Yes, yeah, so Jordan Maialata, after, after all that discussion that, that we had last week, uh, Jordan Maialata was the starting right tackle. Lane Johnson was downgraded to questionable. Um, on Sunday morning, did not play. So Jordan Mailata at right tackle, and then at left tackle was Jason Peters, like like we expected. Herbig was the left guard, Matt Pryor the right guard, Jason Kelsey center. Uh, Jordan Mailata struggled early on against Demarcus Lawrence. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence had a sack on the first drive, and there was some pressure there. But uh, I got to go back and and watch it. I didn't think there was too many egregious plays thereafter, right? Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. I thought it was that one sack on the first, was it the first play? It was the first series. Um, no, I think it might've been after the Boston Scott run, but it was on the first possession. He gives up a sack. After that, I didn't see a lot of, I, I thought he held his own pretty well. Like, I don't remember a lot of plays where it looked like he was, um, he was the one giving up pressure. So it looks like, uh, you know, that that's the one part of the uh, film I look forward to watching is how he kind of performed there at right tackle. I mean, they highlighted him on the one play where he like threw, I think it was Alden Smith. He like threw him to the ground yeah. uh, and really finished off his, uh, his rep there really well. So uh, that is something worth looking at. How sick do you think uh, baby Jane is about hearing about like Jordan Mailata at this point? Do you think <laughs> well, is she just like dad shut the you know shut yeah, up I mean, please i get it yeah i mean well <laughs> you know it's if if my lotta uh did not start if johnson was healthy like baby uh, are we allowed to say her her her, her yeah because Bo said both yeah, said Bo it said, yeah. yeah yeah baby jane would would be like worried about her father's well-being you know if if my lotta was was benched tonight <laughs> Um, she, but yeah, uh, she's like, the, I've only been alive for one day. Exactly. She's like, ninety percent of my conversations have been about Jordan Mailata. <laughs> yes. Can we please? There's got to be more to this world. Yes, exactly. It's exactly. <laughs> it's it's like I I I can only imagine 
um, when uh, if when Bo's wife is, is in the hospital. <laughs> I, I just think of like Frank Costanza with, with uh, Jay Buhner. How could you bench Jordan Maialata? Yeah. So, uh, uh, fortunately for for everyone at the hospital, that was not the case. You know, I was also thinking we joked during the Friday podcast. I, I think you were the one who brought it up. Like, what if, Bo, what if you have to go to the hospital right now and you're dressed as uh, as Benny DiNucci? Yes, yes. Uh, it it actually got pretty close there. I mean, it, a day, what, like twenty four hours off, or I guess it was a little bit more than that. But within a within a day, I mean, we podcasted on Friday and Saturday. He was at the hospital, so Although that very it, well could have happened. It's it's defensible though. If he showed up that way on Saturday, <laughs> it's Halloween. He could that's he could true. Say, Good point. He could say it's his Halloween costume. Yeah. If he if he just showed up on Friday looking like that. Uh, and he was he was using he was speaking that 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 way to all the wonderful <laughs> doctors and nurses that that would be interesting. Yeah, we could have Gene. We you know we're glad to have you. We could have used you a day earlier for the uh, for the comedy there on Friday of Bo uh, Bo going into the hospital like that. Okay, looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with twenty four seven U S based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, some other sequences I have here. Zach, well, I guess I should ask you, Zach, uh, you, were, you, you were at both the press conferences, obviously, involved talking to players. Um, anything stand out? What, what was Doug Peterson's like big-picture take of how he digested this kind of strange win. Yeah, so uh, Doug, you know, at, after games sometimes, uh, this this year in particular, I don't want to say he's he's ornery, but uh, he certainly wasn't jolly. And he admits that 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 the offense needs to fix this. Um, now he he did uh, when he was asked if if uh, Carson needs a bye week right now. Um, he, he made some joke that, that the Eagles won, so he won't get fired tomorrow by, 
uh, this particular columnist. Well, that um, was interesting because yeah. I want to get into that because, yeah, that was, uh, you know, people were watching and they were saying okay. names. So I don't feel I, yeah. I feel like we can say, you know, that was Marcus Hayes, I believe. Uh, you know, asked the que- asked the question about uh, could Wentz use the bye week, and Doug Peterson said something like, uh, "You know, according to you, if I didn't win tonight, I was getting fired." <laughs> yeah. What did did was there a column like that? Because Marcus Hayes said, "I think you have the wrong guy." Yeah, I I don't think Marcus in particular wrote that leading up to this game. Okay. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure if there was. I, I I didn't see the column. I'm sure. I'm guessing somebody wrote that, or maybe um, Jeffrey Lurie or Howie Roseman just makes up like you know, hands yeah. and press clippings to Doug to get him extra motivated. But that was a you know, for, to call out a reporter like that at a press conference, and you know, when you have the wrong guy, I thought that was a little bit of a strange look. There yeah, uh, Marcus wrote something earlier this year about how the Eagles can save the season and Doug Peterson's job, but. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's what Doug was referring to. I, I, I'd have to go back and, and, and look, but yeah, clearly it was something that was on Doug's mind yeah, um, at, at the time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was, uh, I, I have to go back and, and listen through on, on Doug. I thought that um, a lot of the questions were about Carson. I I wanted to ask if, if he considered uh, benching Carson, which, which we discussed. He said they did not have those those conversations. Um, we'll have more from Doug tomorrow, but he did say it was a good time for everyone to get the bye week, and so himself included, I imagine. Yeah, he did do the whole, uh, you know, a win is a win. There are yep. no pretty wins. There are no ugly wins. It's hard to win in this in this league, Zach. You know, you've never uh, been in his shoes, which you know, yeah. uh, granted, it you know, I I think like Adam Gase would agree. It's hard yes. to uh, yes. it's hard to win in this league. I'm sure there are some. Yeah, the Chargers. I'm sure Anthony Lynn would agree that it's hard to uh, win in this league with the way they blew that game. But I didn't think. He was definitely not apologizing, you know, nor really does he need to or, or should he. You know, I guess mm-hmm. that's not really uh, his job. That's uh, He can do that internally. He doesn't have to say it um, publicly. But uh, I do wonder what he's thinking sort of about the quarterback position and the offense right now because the offense just does continue to look uh, very lost and has looked that way for the first eight games and the bye week brings a chance to self scout, which they always talk about. And it always seems weird to me that they need, you know, you kind of need this week off and then you come back and you have new stuff, but it, it actually does seem to be the case at times where they get a week off and they look at everything and then they come back and they bring you something new. So we will see uh, if that happens or if that doesn't happen. Uh, some of the sequences yeah. I, yeah, go ahead. I was, I was, I was just, I was going to add to that. Uh, and you mentioned they really need to look hard at, at things during the bye. I, I think this is going to be one of the most compelling subplots of the final eight, eight games of the season is how does this offense finish up? Because like you mentioned, this is a defense they they should have uh, you know had, had yards and points up and down the field against this defense. That clearly was not the case. Jeffrey Lurie, as, as you've discussed on this podcast, as, as, as you've written about, like he he expects his 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 offense to be a top five offense. I think that's what he said in his press conference before the season. And he's an offensive minded owner. Um, and this he he believes this offense has underachieved. And I think that if if you asked uh, Doug Peterson what he does well as a coach, he would tell you play calling and he would tell you offensive strategy. Um, but but frankly, there hasn't been enough evidence of, of that this year or, or last year. 
and and uh, going forward, that is probably going to be something that is on Jeffrey Lurie's mind. And and that's not to say that like Doug's on the hot seat, and, and I think that there's a lot of leadership things that that Doug does really well. You know, the guys play for Doug. He he's um, you know I like his aggressiveness. I like the way he handles the locker room. There, it's not a coincidence the 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 way they play late in the season. I think he does a good job uh, in terms of dealing with the players, but the offense is a problem. And for how much the team has, uh, at least in theory, invested in it, and you could say that the talent's the issue, but if, if they don't improve in these final eight games, then it, it can't just be like reshuffling this, this staff. It, it probably needs to be a new person calling plays at the very least. So yeah, no, that that's a great point because we know from Jeffrey Lurie's early days as an owner in the NFL what his philosophy has always been and how he thinks you can sustain success in the NFL. And I, Howie Roseman, I believe, uh, thinks the same way. Although you know, I I would question that sometimes his actions do not reflect that. The, the importance on offense uh, compared to defense with some of the decisions they made specifically last offseason. But yeah, there was a shot of Jeffrey Lurie, you know, in the owner's booth on the broadcast. That he, you don't want to do body language, doctor, but he, he certainly didn't seem to be enjoying thoroughly uh, the type of victory they were having. And you look at it on the season now, I just pulled up the stats here. They're 28th in expected points added uh, per snap. Below them are the Washington football team, the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos, and the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. I mean, that and is it, not the company you want to be keeping. And that shows you why they're first place in the in the NFC East. So, so yeah. when we say like like big picture, yeah, they're in the driver's seat to win the division. But you absolutely, when you're looking at the big picture, need to take into consideration who these other teams in the in the division are. Well, I'm always on the on the side of you do whatever you can to make the playoffs yes. because you know that's part of the the. Com- competitiveness and it gives your fans something and it's nice to have your team in the playoffs and be able to watch a playoff game tonight was the first time where I was sort of in the fourth quarter there I was sort of like it might be best really best for this franchise and I know we've had uh, readers and listeners ask this question like do they need to bottom out for Jeffrey Lurie to really be like all right we need to uh, rethink this whole sort of structure and some of the moves we made this was the first time where I was like, if Benny DiNucci goes down and scores a touchdown here and they lose on Sunday night football, I don't know, maybe a bottoming out uh, would serve this franchise well. But then I, as I thought about it after the game, you know, last year uh, they make the playoffs and Jeffrey Lurie still obviously felt like they needed to make changes on the offensive side of the ball. Now, I'm not sure if I totally agree with the path that they took there. It just feels like they're trying to recapture 2017 in so many different ways, you know, with the with the coaching staff and sort of the synergy there with Carson Wentz, with, oh, we don't need uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Because look at 2017, we had a bunch of different, you know, all these different things they've done. It really feels like they point back to 2017. And like, maybe that was just, uh, you know, the, every year is unique. Like it's hard. It's hard to replicate that. Like that might not be your best formula here going forward. You might have to make different decisions to get back to that point. So we will. Uh, I. You're absolutely right. I mean, the final eight games, how they perform offensively. I mean, if Wentz performs at this level, or well, if he performs at this level, I do think they will give Hertz a shot at some point. Now, really, if you believe. 
if he plays this poorly, I mean, if he's leading the league in in sacks and fumbles and interceptions and completing 58% of his passes and completing 6.2 yards per attempt, yeah, because that if that continues into like week 12 or 13, I mean, that tells me that the offense has nothing figured out. And at that point, I think there would be something. I mean, it might not be Hurts for good. It might be a game like tonight, and they bring Hurts in in the second half. But I think there would be a point where Wentz would find himself on the sideline. Do you disagree? Ah, uh, that's a good. For... Sounds like you do a little bit. Well, that it's you know, if you didn't do it tonight, if if if, if, yeah. if you didn't do it after the fourth turnover, then like I don't think there's there's a, there's a, another time for it. And the comparison now. Perhaps it was because it was still a close game at that point. You know, I, th- I think the comparison that people make is when McNabb sat in the Baltimore game, right? And right. I, d- I don't remember the, all the details of that, but I, I think when they benched McNabb, like the game was already out of hand. And then he, he came back the next game, I think it was a Thanksgiving game against Arizona, uh, played outstanding, and, and it, it was exactly what, what we what Doug has talked about with like Nelson Aguilar and Isaac Samalu, where where you take a step back. Um, certainly, I imagine McNabb got the message then, and the same thing. I I, I thought there would that that tonight after that fourth interception, because they came out of halftime, it was it was something to consider. Do you think Doug considered it? I, I know he said there were uh, no conversations about it, but that was his. If he had said, "Yeah, we considered it," then that's the big story today, obviously, right? So. Uh, I- I sort of think that it's a, I do, I don't take the decision lightly. I mean, there are a lot of implications to making that type of move. And so I almost feel like this will give them a chance to whether he huddles with uh, Jeffrey Lurie or the other coaches and they say, all right, you know, kind of come up with a plan of if it comes to it and we have to do this, we want to make sure that everybody's on the same page type deal where you wouldn't think that would be the case with the Super Bowl winning head coach, but yeah. this is like a unique Super Bowl winning head coach. We see that with sort of the, you know, the way they kind of uh, treat him. And so maybe that was part of it where it's like, all right, if you're on the fence and you're not sure, uh, you just say, all right, let, let's let Wentz kind of ride it out. And, you know, I do think that's probably more of Doug's personality is to let the guy work through it and work, especially a quarterback who he's been with. And let's be honest, his, you know, his kind of fate as a head coach is tied to Carson Wentz in many ways, you know? So it's like, it's in his best interest to get Wentz going and to get this figured out and to get him on the right track. If you get to a point where you play Hertz and then all of a sudden Hertz isn't playing well, like, well, then the you know the finger is being pointed at you, and you might be in trouble. So there are so many different dynamics at play here. Now, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the McNabb one because that was 2008, um, and I got the story up here. He was benched after the first half against the Ravens. He committed three turnovers, and the team didn't produce any points. Uh, he was eight for 18 with 59 for 59 yards, two interceptions, and a fumble. And the week before was when they had that tie against the Bengals. Uh, where he threw three interceptions hmm. and lost a fumble, uh, and it's kind of crazy. That was, um, you know, he was a, he was a ten year veteran, so it was a different time, you know, because they had already drafted Cobb, yep. and so you had kind of thought, all right, well, it's going to be uh, a matter of time before Cobb replaces him. Whereas here, you you know, Wentz should be entering his prime, and it should be different, but uh, that certainly has not been the case uh, been the case so far. So we we will see. What happens? Some of the sequences, 
in this game that stood out to me. I don't know if you have other ones you uh, want to talk about, but certainly the first Wentz fumble we discussed. Um, the second Wentz fumble, that was when they uh, threw the ball away. He threw the ball away on third down. Even when he throws the ball away, it feels weird. You know, it almost mm-hmm. feels like you can see him processing. All right, you know, they just told you on the sideline, yes. don't force something, throw it away. Like that even feels uncomfortable to me when he throws throws the ball away. Um, so then they had the fumble there on fourth down. They tried sort of the Philly special type play. Yeah, weird I, time for it. Yeah, Weird time. Yeah, what was that? Yeah, I... I I did not understand it when they did it. I mean, I th- I thought it just it was a, like it's a it's it's a time and place play. Why do it in that situation? Although, then again, you called it on a fourth down at the goal line in the Super Bowl, so you know I I don't know what the correct time is, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess there is a little yeah. bit of probably bias there where if it would have worked, yeah, maybe. But I don't know. I, third and six from the Dallas forty-five. Yeah, I, I, that doesn't seem like the right time to be pull, to be breaking that play out. You know, like even if you get a few yards there, you're probably going for it, and so you should have plays in your playbook for third and six from the Dallas 45. And then they punt on fourth and four uh, after that, after Greg Ward ran for just two yards. So that was a bit of a strange sequence. They had they do have a lot of plays where it just feels like they're counting on somebody to win one on one. You know, mm-hmm. I think they had like a fade to Dallas Goddard on one play. They had the fourth and one to Fulgham. That was incomplete. Uh so th- they failed on that one. I didn't have an issue with them going going for it there. Did you like the play you- though? No, I mean it yeah. I mean it felt like it had no shot, right? Yeah, I, I don't know I if they weren't on the same page. I'm trying to remember it, but it was a bad incompletion that had no shot on the right side. It looked like and that was right in front of me. The it, it looked like the sideline thought there should have been defensive holding on the play. Uh okay. now I, I don't know if, if like you if if you count on a, a flag being called. I, I just didn't think it was like a high percentage play in that situation. Absolutely. Yeah. They didn't do anything to like spring him free or, you know, they didn't run a pick play. They didn't do a a rollout with Wentz like they did on the Rager touchdown. Like all those things seem like they would have been uh, better options. And and then the Wentz interception uh, in the end zone to Diggs, you know, that's first and 10 from the Dallas 34. It's uh, so it's just like, you know, it's a bad spot there to to have an interception uh, like that. Okay, let's see. Anything else? uh, stood out for you any anything else you wanted to get to from this game i think i've got some final thoughts here i know some listeners thought this might be the shortest episode of all time or i might string it out to make bo jealous and make it like the longest episode of all time but i think given the time uh and that you have to write after this that uh, we won't string it out for too much longer yeah so so the one thing i'm, I'm curious about uh, your uh, opinion on and i'm i'm of the opinion that that passing the ball is always better uh, but but this this was the worst rush defense in the NFL, and Boston Scott was was making plays early in the game. I mean, in the first quarter alone, he had his two longest runs of the season. Uh, he he had at halftime he had nine carries, sixty three yards, so so seven yards a carry. Do you think they should have run the ball more? Yeah, I'm I'm sort of with you. I, I think neither of us are usually on the side of you know, just run the damn ball being the solution to problems. But if ever there were a game, uh, this felt like it was it where your quarterback's having issues, you're turning the ball over, and it felt like they were just gashing the Cowboys. I mean, it felt like they were blowing them off the line of scrimmage. There were huge holes. There were huge running lanes for Boston Scott. So 
I would have to go back and uh, as we review and look at, you know, whether specific plays or possessions where they could have done that. But overall, I do sort of feel like that's valid in this game that they could have run the football more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And then a, a few other notes I had. Uh, Dallas Goddard, so he he, he, re, he returns. It was, a, it was a little bit of a surprise that he was playing. You know, it was, it was, it was quicker than expected. Really was not much of a factor. One target, uh, one catch, 15 yards. Thought he should have been more involved in the game tonight. Uh, Jalen Rager's first game back since week two. Uh, caught the touchdown. I thought the play in the fourth quarter when they threw it up to him, I thought that was a good ball, and I thought he should have come down with that. Um, that, that could have been his second touchdown, but he finished with three catches, 16 yards. Yes, yeah, I didn't get a good view of that replay, but it seemed like on uh, uh, on social media, it seemed like people agreed with you that he had a chance at that uh, at that touchdown. I do like when they just sort of, you know, swing the ball out and get mm-hmm. the ball in his hands and let him make someone miss. Like that feels like a good sort of six yard minimum play, and so I would expect them to do that. Uh, a little bit more, but you know, nice to see him out there. I think if you're looking at what what is there to look forward to in the second half of the season, specific players, I, I think certainly he is uh, at the top of the list there. Goddard, I know Wentz had said right after the game that they weren't sure if they were going to have him, so they didn't build him into the game plan type deal. Which I don't know, that seemed kind of weird. Like I don't, the plays that were for Richard Rodgers, just have Goddard uh, run those. I, I felt like this was an opportunity to see him as the uh, top tight end. So I don't know if he was. Not fully 100%, but uh, yeah, you would have expected him to be much more of a factor in this game had just one catch. Yeah, and and then just a, a few quick injury notes. Darius Slay left the game with an ankle injury, I, I, I believe. Uh, the Eagles were undermanned as it was at cornerback. At this is a shout-out to Bo, who uh, wants us to discuss <laughs> Michael Jaquette. Uh, it came course. into play because... They elevated Michael Jaquette from the from the practice squad. He had to go in and play, and then he gets hurt in the fourth quarter, I believe, went into the locker room. So then the Eagles had to move Jalen Mills over to corner, put Will Parks in at safety. But certainly the Eagles have a bye week here, so they have time. But Darius Slay's injury is one to monitor. Then Malik Jackson also left the game. Uh, I believe that was a quadriceps injury. Um, so that's one to monitor too. Uh, those were really the only notable injuries in this game for the Eagles. Yeah, Michael Jacquet had like a near interception, didn't he? Yeah, long arms. That's what that's what uh, <laughs> that's what Bo likes about him. Yes. Because uh, I was like, who is that? Wait, third thirty-eight. Yeah, Wait, thirty-eight. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and Raekwon Williams both uh, both got into the game. They had many near interceptions. I mean, Mills yeah, almost had one. Yeah, McLeod yeah. had one that went through his hands. Yeah. It was uh, it was an adventure back there with. Benny Danucci. Uh, all right, let's see if I have any final thoughts here. I here's a here's one that's typical of a post game pod. How terrifying is a quarterback sneak? I mean, how did those guys do that and then like just get up after that? Like Benny Danucci is just, I mean, he's just getting low, sticking his head into this pile of like three hundred pound people trying to rip his head off, 
and then he gets out. Do you think you would you survive? Could you survive one quarterback sneak in the NFL? Well, the question with it is like what <laughs> happens on the bottom of the pile, you know? Because mm. I've I've heard these these stories when you're in the pile for the fumble about the things they do in terms of the poking and and whatnot. Grabbing, I be, yeah, believe the yeah. grabbing is a big yeah. thing. Yeah. But uh, as as far as the quarterback sneak, like I don't want to come off as like this tough guy. I'm sure it would it would hurt quite a bit, but. But but uh, you're you're bracing for it, so you're getting low and and you're obviously uh, like it's 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 not unexpected when people fall on you. So it's it I I it, it might be the 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 way you fall, you're positioned for it. There's there's not a lot of like um, uh, it's I guess it's just not unexpected. Look at you taking a whiff. This is like Bo talking about his baseball. Uh, no, I've exploits. I've never I've never <laughs> like been in that situation. So I don't know. I imagine it, it it does hurt, but I I would be more worried about the other things that occur, like the poking and and the pulling. Than yeah, you don't want to be fall. part of that. I'd be out exactly. of there for that stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah I think it would uh, do irreparable damage to my neck. I don't think I would ever <laughs> ever be the same after one of those. And then. Uh, now, were you listening to the broadcast in the press box or no? Or you were, you just have the TV From, on? No, no. Yeah, no, I, I, ha- okay. I listened to it on, on an iPad. and But uh, in the fourth quarter, I'm writing the breakdown. So I, I stopped listening in the fourth quarter. Okay. Yeah, Al Michaels was – I think we really need to retire the Mike Tyson quote of, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. I just feel like that has been uh, cliched to death in the sporting arena. But Al Michaels tried to go to that twice and uh, both times got it incorrect. I, I forget what he said uh, each time, but I, I thought that was pretty funny that he was trying to go to that referring to Benny, uh, Benny DiNucci. And then he had uh, he got me very nervous. I was wondering. I would think NBC execs were probably watching this and like holding their breath when he started getting into some story about Tony Romo's girlfriend. Were you listening at this time? <laughs> I was listening to that actually. Yes. I was like, Al, come on now, people are still listening. I don't know where you're going with this, my man, but uh, you don't you don't want to get canceled here. Uh, but it, it, it turned out to be. Uh, I I don't really understand the. Full point of his story, but it turned out to be pretty harmless, I think. But I, I thought that landed better than Collinsworth on uh, a bunch of guys sitting around a room telling jokes with each <laughs> other. And, and quarterbacks, a bunch yeah, of quarterbacks. Yeah, and and that's what it was like in the offensive meeting room in terms of yeah. suggesting plays. Like, I, yeah. I didn't quite understand that one, but look, I didn't get yeah. That. It's it's Al. You ever been around a bunch of quarterbacks? One of them tells a joke, and the other one tries to one up them with another (laughs) joke. (laughs) Al's like, "What what the hell are you talking about?" (laughs) That's what it was like with these guys this week throwing. (laughs) So yeah, I thought uh, you know what Uh, they they did not have. uh, This was not an easy broadcast to do exactly. tonight it, it seemed like they were very aware about the uh the quality of play but uh I, I guess it was somewhat entertaining all right marissa do we need to get our um you know super scorecasting scores and i heard there was a a great result in that do we need to go over that now i, I don't know if you're listening or not <laughs> i'm still listening you are okay you're still um here. yes so Sheil, you are the winner for oh, this week wow um, i had no idea yeah, um, actually, the only two points scored. And I'm not going to lie, it actually makes watching a game like this very fun. Um, 
I was keeping track the whole game. Like it was, it was very exciting. It was like bingo. Um, but you got Rachel and Bo welcome baby wolf prior to kickoff on Sunday night. And then you also got the Eagles score a touchdown on defense or special teams, but there was a lot of really close ones, like all of Bo's. So he had, uh, Benny Danuch throws a pick six, no pick six, but I mean, how many times did he? Wow. Yeah. There were like four so, that could have happened. Yeah. Jason Peters will start, but my will end with more snaps. I believe it was the same. It was, he never yes. left. Correct. Oh, yeah. So, then, so this was that. the other one. So Jason Peters limped off Zach. I was in the kitchen and I <laughs> saw your tweet and I was like, ran to the TV, like, Oh my gosh. And I thought when they were good, it was right at half. And I was like, you know what? They're probably not even going to send Peters out for to, to take the kneel down. And that counts as a snap. Yep. And if he's injured, I'm like, and even if he comes back at halftime, like, that's going to count. He left with an injury, but he did come out so that Bo does not get that one. And then Benny Danuch was not responsible for the safety. So, Oh my gosh, that's, this is crazy. Yes. Bo, Bo just, so Zach Peters definitely did not miss any snaps. Uh, he did not miss any snaps. No, no. but that he was did a great job by Marissa. In, yeah. yeah. He did limp off, but he did not miss a snap for it. So Marissa, um, that's a little bit too much hustle. This, yeah. uh, podcast having, running, running to your TV and checking it. Uh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, wow. So, so like then, you said, if he would have missed that one, then Bo would have got a two pointer there. Yeah. And oh. then um, Zach's, you had Jalen Rager's longest reception is longer than CD Lamb's longest recep- reception. Mm-hmm. Um, Rager's longest was eight, I believe. And, and CD Lamb's was 12. Um, also, oh, Rager would have caught yeah. that touchdown. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Had that and one. Rager, um, seventy-five receiving yards. He had sixteen. Um, and this one, Carson Wentz averages over eight yards per attempt. Oh yeah, so. that did not happen. <laughs> yeah, I was over in this game. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks I, to the I, I defensive touchdown okay. and, yeah. and baby baby Jane, Shiel is the swooper mm-hmm. sarcastic winner for week eight. <laughs> All right, well baby done. Jane, you're you're forgiven for uh, making me do this podcast because at least you let me beat Bo uh, for the uh, super scorecasting. All right, Zberm set up the uh, set up the next couple weeks here, I guess for us. Yeah, so uh, by week this week, so Doug Peterson will talk on Monday, um, and then I I frankly don't know what the schedule is going to be this week. It's a little different than uh, most years uh, now. One thing that I, I I believe players need to stay in their city during the bye week. Oh right, yeah, that's because true. Because they have daily testing, right? So um, so there are around, but but Doug Peterson typically gives the the team off for the bye week, and then uh, they're back for uh, the Giants following the bye, and they're they're presumably going to be healthier. So certainly something to watch there. Zach Ertz is not eligible to come back for the Giants game. It is three games that he needs to miss, not three weeks. Um, so the earliest he can come back is that Browns game. But uh, a big thing to monitor this week, uh, obviously there's more important things going on in the world, but or in the country rather, but in the NFL world, uh, the trade deadline is Tuesday. And so I'm curious to see if the Eagles do anything at all. Um, they've typically been active at the deadline the past Three years in particular. Last year, the Jannard Avery trade was around there. Uh, the year before that, Golden Tate. year before that, Jay Ajayi. And uh, we've covered the trade deadline quite a bit on the site. You've already seen 
a few trades made around the league. The Eagles are a first-place team, but like we've discussed, they can be buyers, they can be sellers. Um, so curious in the next 48 hours if they make any moves. Water gun to your toes. What uh, Do they make a move, and what kind of move at the trade deadline? I know you answered this on the site. Yeah, you, um, you know, I uh, I do think they're 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 going. I I, I think they're going to add somebody. Uh, I, I I could see a linebacker or a cornerback that they add. I can't see them giving much. I know there was that report out uh, this morning. I, I I believe it was on ESPN that like they're listening to all offers for Alshon Jeffrey. Yes, I, I, I could have told you that um, multiple times. And, have, and they have been for the last <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. nine months plus. Nobody they are, is interested. They are really, really trying to, to, to generate some type of interest in Nalshon. Uh, so we've talked about them being sellers. I don't know who they can sell. Um, I, I'm curious to see the snap counts in a few hours. But uh, JJ, our, our Thega Whiteside, was not targeted tonight. Uh, he's clearly down the depth chart at at wide receiver. So if there's a player for player trade, maybe there's a rebuilding team that is interested in him that had a good draft grade on him and, uh, you know, is interested in bringing him on. I, I don't know what the answer is there, but I I do think the Eagles are going to add someone, uh, on, and I, I would pay attention to linebacker or cornerback. I could see that like, like JJ Ortega Whiteside for like a special teams linebacker who maybe they think could be able to play defense at some point. Something, you know, someone who's not getting much run for anybody else. Okay. So after the bye, they are at the Giants, at at the the Browns, Mm -hmm. home versus – then they get this stretch, home versus the Seahawks, at the Packers, home versus the Saints, at the Cardinals, at the Cowboys, home against Washington. I will say they will be favorites, let's see, at the Giants, at the Cowboys, home against Washington in three games. So if they win the games where they're favored – that would put them at six, nine, and one. Would that be enough to win the division, Zach? Uh yes. As as long as they take care of these, as long as those wins come against the division teams, you know, if 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 their neck, if their three wins are against Dallas, New York, and and Washington the rest of the way, then I, I got to think they're in position to win the division. Yeah, it really comes down to that. Yeah. They don't even have to show up for the other games, really, if they just <laughs> if they just win those games. Okay. I don't know well, how much home field. If it, it, I don't know how uh, if home field is an advantage this year or not, because there there aren't you know, many fans to make it right. relevant. But uh, the Eagles are only home three times the rest of the year, and only two times in in what their next seven games. So um, something to watch as well. And only one more primetime game, yes. which is ho- home against the Seahawks. Unless games are flexed. so Unless games are flexed. Okay. Which I don't think it will yeah, be happening yeah. for them. Yeah. All right. Well, we will have plenty of time to discuss all those things. I, th- I think we'll plan on doing a, a pod at some point this week, but we'll just see. We'll see how the trade deadline goes. We'll see what other news there is, and we'll do a pod. And then I'm sure Bo will be very anxious to return. As soon as he can, congratulations to the uh, Wolf family from the uh, entire Birds with Friends family. And uh, thank you for listening. Check out Zach's piece on The Athletic on Monday. If you haven't subscribed, theathletic.com slash birds with friends. And, you know, as always, if you uh, rate, review, subscribe, unsubscribe, 
all those things, then uh, you're not terrible. Thank you for listening.